Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. City Church. How are you today? My name is Bethany, and I'm one of the leaders here at Audacity. I'm actually usually down in kids, so if you haven't seen me before, it's because I was downstairs playing. We're going to uh, read a scripture today from our passage, and if you'd like to follow along, I'm in Psalms chapter 40, and we're going to start with verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord. You know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. This is the word of the Lord. Here at Audacity, we believe that prayer changes everything. It changes us. It changes the world that we live in. And it is powerful. I invite you right now to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to praise you today. We thank you that through our praise, you move mountains. We thank you that you invite us into a relationship with you and that we are changed for the better and our world is changed. We thank you that you use us, Lord, as vessels to do your will. God, I ask right now that you would touch every person in this building, that you would touch every person watching online that you would touch every child that's downstairs learning God. We ask that your spirit would abide with us today. I pray that each person that is within the sound of my voice would be changed, would be impacted. God, that we would be willing to be servants of you. I pray for each heart. I pray for the heartaches. I pray for the sickness. I pray for the healing that is to come. I pray for Josh as he brings the word this morning. Use him in a mighty, mighty way. And God, we thank you for the work that you have already begun. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Good morning, Audacity. Don't stand too close to the speaker. You get that. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Audacity, and by uh, education, I guess, I'm an engineer, and so uh, an engineer's ability to speak in public is inversely proportional 
uh, to their ability to be a good engineer. So that right there should tell you, buckle up, because it ain't going to be great. But also, if you want to know what inversely proportional is, I asked Nate before the service, not really, just volunteered him right now, to uh, graph that downstairs on the whiteboard in the kids' room. So if you feel like uh, after service, a little bit of a math lesson, he'd be more than happy uh, to go ahead and graph that out for you guys. So, and he's, he's even a better engineer than I am, just so you know. So uh, last week, we kind of went over, we're, well, we're going through Judges right now. Last week, we went over Gideon, and we kind of wrapped get, the story of Gideon up. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about a uh, judge in chapters 10 and 11 of Judges named Jephthah. And uh, he was a pretty interesting cat. He was a, a little different kind of guy. And we'll learn a lot about kind of his past and what made him who he is, but also kind of his leadership style, uh, how he became who he was, and, and just the influence that he had, even to the point that uh, he gets mentioned in what's known as the uh, Hall of Fame chapter in Hebrews 11 by name. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and start on uh, point one, right, is God's grace on display. And so let's just dive into the word. Judges 10, 16 through 18 says, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped at Gilead, and the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And so let me kind of... There's some weird geography going on, because if you guys are like me, you're like, what tribe was Gilead? Where is this thing? What even is it? And what Gilead was, is it was property that was on the east side. Sorry, I'll turn around so I'm lining up. East side of the Jordan River that the Israelites uh, had occupied in the days of Moses. And so they had kind of taken over this, so it's kind of a conglomeration of three different tribes and parts of three different tribes. They all lived in the, in the region known as Gilead. So they're, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And by being there, instead of being on the west side of the river between the Mediterranean and the Jordan, they're more exposed to being attacked from other tribes east because they didn't have to cross a river. They didn't have any natural defenses. And so basically they're kind of out there in the open and they tend to, tended to get attacked uh, a little more often just, just for that. And so what happens is, is they're out here uh, east of the river, and they're vulnerable. And so the Ammonites come in and say, hey, you know, we're going to take advantage of this situation in this particular case. And so uh, they come in and uh, do that. And what we see here, though, is that um, they were looking around, and they knew they had to fight, so they gathered an army uh, together at Mizpah, right? But they looked around, and they said, uh, who's ready to lead? And they couldn't find anybody. You know, no, nobody was willing to kind of take the lead on this thing uh, and kind of be the commander of the armies. And so they're just kind of, kind of lost. And we see that this is basically what happens uh, due to the effects of idolatry is you have a bunch of people that are around and they have nowhere to go, nothing to do. They don't, they don't know what to do. They haven't been trained. They haven't been brought up. They haven't been taught how to lead. And so you see a severe lack of leadership uh, in this area of Israel due to the fact that they didn't have any previous leaders to base this on. They were uh, unsure of what to do, and so they, did, they didn't know how to handle it. 
So what they did is they're like, well, who, who do we go to? And they said, let's go, let's go find Jephthah. And Jephthah was an outcast, right? So Judges, and that's number two, is outcast. Judges 11, 1 through 3 says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. So remember that. He's, he's a pretty good warrior. And you say, but I thought you had nobody to lead him, right? So keep that in mind. But he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wives also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows, and that's an interesting translation, collected around Jephthah and went out with him. And so there's kind of a lot just in these three verses. So the first thing we learn is that Jephthah was a mighty warrior. We go, mighty warrior of what? Because they're getting attacked, right? So we're going to skip to verse 3, and, and we'll hit part of the rest of verse 1 here in a minute, but it says he was surrounded by worthless fellows. Well, worthless fellows would probably be better translated mercenaries, right? So Jephthah was like a mercenary army leader who farmed out his services to whoever was willing to pay him to go kick the crap out of other people. So that's what he did. He was like, you know what? Uh, I can't move back home. I have no inheritance. You know, my brothers don't want me. Moves out here. He's kind of a natural-born leader. He's got some charisma. He, he grabs up a bunch of fighters, and he says, you know what? Uh, you know, we'll go out to the highest bidder. Back in those days, in that part of the world, uh, every spring, and you, you can read this in other parts of the Bible, the kings would go to war. And so when the kings would go to war, you know, they're always saying, well, hey, how do I... How do I get a quick fix on army size? And so you could hire some mercenaries to go with you in exchange for part of the plunder. And so these mercenaries would go out uh, in exchange for basically some, you know, get paid to go ahead and, and go to war. And so that's how some of these kind of tribes out in the wilderness, out in the land where there wasn't a lot of people, that's how they kind of made their living was basically going to war every year uh, for different countries. And one, one year you'd be on this team side, this countryside, and the other you'd switch. In fact, an interesting parallel for those of you who want to research it this afternoon when you've got plenty of extra time, is uh, going through, and King David was actually a mercenary before he was king, and farmed his services out to the Philistines, who he ended up fighting quite a bit after he became king. So there's um, quite a bit of side-switching and interesting stuff going on with mercenaries back then. And uh, so what you see is, is he was a mighty warrior, had experience being a warrior because he was fighting in wars and apparently winning them if he was good at his, deal, at his job. And apparently his worthless fellows or his, uh, were basically like kind of his crack troops, his, his group that, that was able to get the job done. And uh, going back to the, the end of verse 1, so I'm skipping around a lot, but we see he was the son of a, a prostitute. And so we say, well, man, he's the son of a prostitute, he was an outcast, he was a mercenary, he went out to the highest bidder, you know, like, what a guy, right? But God sees potential in him. God knows how good he can be. God's able to kind of see past his background, see past how he grew up, see, see past how he was raised, and see the best in him. And that's how God sees us. God doesn't see um, the mistakes we made. Does he know what they are? Sure he does. Are they forgiven? You bet. Jesus has already forgiven them. Jesus has already covered them in his blood. Jesus has taken the price for those. It's up to us to accept it. And so God goes and he says, look, 
I don't care what you've been through. You know, I don't care uh, the sins you've, kicked, you've had. I don't care if you've been through bankruptcy. I don't care if, you've ha- if you're on your third wife. I don't, he doesn't care. None of your background, he doesn't care who your parents are. He doesn't care who your mom is or who your dad is. He only sees your potential. He sees how you created you. And not only that, but he uses the mistakes. He uses the problems you have to reach others, right? Like now you're able, Jesus is not somebody who hasn't suffered with us, so he knows what suffering is. And so he knows what we've gone through, and so we can use our suffering to help others. People go, man, you wouldn't know how I feel. You haven't been through that. Well, try me, bro. You know, go ahead, tell me. I'll tell you what I've been through. If I haven't been through it, I bet you I can find somebody here who has. I know the church is a place where suffering people go to find Jesus. And I know that those people will help you because they love you like Jesus loves them. And so I know that just because you have a crazy background, a crappy background, not a great background, you have a perfect Father in heaven who's willing to step up to love you like nobody else has loved you. Amen? All right, I'll move on to point three. I'm known as a short pastor, so I've got to keep going, right? So, uh, so is Jephthah a leader, or is he a hired gun? And that's always one of those things, you know, um, do you want to be a leader, or do you want to be a mercenary? He, he was a hired gun. He knew, he knew what that was. So they come to him, Judges 11, 6 through 11, and they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, do not hate me and drive me out of my, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, this is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead and the people and made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. So basically they were, came to him and said, Hey, you're a mercenary, come fight this. And he's like, Why am I going to come home and help you guys out? You just need me, you know, you just came to me because you need something. I don't know if any of you guys got like that friend or that family member who like, when they call you, you're like, geez, I wonder what they need now, right? You're like looking at your phone. Like, um, I don't have any cash. Uh, I don't have time. I'm out of the country, maybe. You know, convenient excuse like going to Uganda or something. And so, you know, what? So you can like, so you can, you, you know, so when people call you, there's nothing worse than somebody who's, you know, basically only contacts you when they need something. They don't want to hang out. They want to have dinner. They want to go see a movie. Just like, hey, you know, I'm just calling you because I need something. And uh, it'd be great if you could give it to me right now. It's like, mm, not really my thing. So what they do is they, they go to Jeff and he's like, look, I'm not, I'm not here to do you guys any favors, man. You guys kick me out. You don't want me around. You know, you're just coming here because you need something. And they're like, Yep, that's true. We're just coming here because we need something. They owned it right off the top, which is pretty cool. So, uh, so they're pretty honest. They said, hey, we, we need you to fight for us because we have nobody to fight for us. Back to point one, we have no leaders. And so we're asking you, come be our leader. And he says, all right, I'll do it if I get to be your leader. So his, his price 
right to lead them in the army was not money, it was to be their leader. And so he says, I'll come fight for you, but I'm going to rule over you. And they said, deal, right? They're in a bad spot. They're going to take what they can get. Hey, we'll go ahead and hire this mercenary. Uh, granted, he's one of us, but we'll get the mercenaries. That's one of us to go ahead and be our leader, right? Had no other leaders, had nowhere to turn, didn't know what to do, went to Jephthah. So here we are. So come, come be our leader. We'll do what we can. You know, and some things little, sometimes little things kind of become big things. And so Jephthah taking over was a big thing. But the elders kind of going to him, right? Like, I could just see him kind of standing amongst themselves like, all right, um, who do we got? Uh, we got nothing, guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, what about Jephthah? You know, like a little thing to suggest it, right? Well, geez, man, it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. Let's go at, you know, sitting together, kind of talking. Man, that's, that's a crazy idea. That's so crazy it might just work. And you just never really have any idea where, a, where an idea, where a spark is going to take you. Sometimes a little thing can become a big thing. Uh, our kids, you know, Nate, when you're down there and he's drawing your graph later, uh, talk to him. Uh, we, I used to help do some of the videos uh, for, that, for that room, and, and Nate volunteers like, I'll go ahead and uh, do that when, after Ronnie fired me from being the kids guy, which was great. And uh, he said, I'll do it. And it was a little thing right at first, like, oh, cool, Nate will do it. Well, one, he's better at it than I am. Um, yep, thanks. That's my wife. And uh, so he's better at it. But not only that, it takes time to do this stuff every week, right? You're printing papers. You're dragging down music videos. You're creating other lesson videos. It just takes time during your week. By freeing it up, right, what's he able to do? What does that do? What does that little thing do? Like, hey, I'll take this one thing off your plate. Now Bethany's able to do other things for the church. Now I'm able to do other things for the church. There's more time in a week. A little thing grows. A little thing affects everybody. A little thing becomes a big thing. It's, it's a little thing to people, but it's a big thing to God. Right? If you want to serve, if you just want to clean up the storehouse, that's a big thing. It's not a little thing. It looks little to us. It's big to God, right? Because why? You're blessing people. You're able to reach out. You're able to reach outside these walls and help people. You know, you want to mow the lawn, you want to clean up the, the sanctuary, it's a little thing, becomes a big thing, okay? No thing is too small, no thing is too insignificant that it will not affect the kingdom of heaven for years, if not decades, millennia to come. Little things are big things. Not a hired gun, he was a leader. So, he agrees, okay, we'll go ahead and do this. Uh, and he takes the diplomatic ap approach, point four. So, that, and just precursor here, this is kind of one of the first times, or the first time in Judges that someone actually tries to use diplomacy. So, and I, I recommend it, although it doesn't work for him. Judges 11, 12 through 16 says, Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, What do you have against me, that you have come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan, now therefore restore it peaceably. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Just as Jephthah Israel did not take away the land of Moab 
or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. So real quick, because just the talking of coming up through a desert makes me thirsty. Um, so, like I said earlier, they're on the east side of the Jordan. Now, the reason they got that land is when they were going to go cross the Jordan to fight the Canaanites under Moses, they asked the king of the Amorites, hey, let us pass through. We're going to go through, skip over the river. We'll be over there. We're not going to bother you. The king of the Amorites was like, no go. And he loads his army up to fight the Israelites. And, uh, you know, nobody beat the Israelites when Moses was around. So uh, they went ahead and took all that land, killed all the Amorites, and then it was theirs. And uh, as they were coming up to that Amorite land, right, and this is what Jephthah's referencing in the wilderness, God told him, you will not fight Moab, you will not fight Ammon. And these two countries were descendants of Lot, who was Abraham's cousin. So God said, you're not going to fight your you're not going to fight your family. So you're going to go around those guys. You're going to go through the Amorite land, cross the Jordan, and then you can fight the Canaanites. And that's going to be your, that's your inheritance. And, uh, and so they went around Moab. They ran around Ammon. Amorites wouldn't let them go through. There's nowhere else to go around. They had to go through. They wouldn't let them through. And um, so they ended up taking that land. And so Ammon says, hey, we want our land back. And Jephthah says, this isn't your land. This is Amorite land. Like, you didn't have this. You know? And they say, well, we, we want this. You should be on the west side. He's like, no, we took it from the Amorites fair and square. We're not giving it back. So he said, you know, hey, let's kind of call it good. Let's not, have a, let's not have a war. Ammon said, nah, we want it. And he said, all right, game on. So uh, he loads up, right, mighty warrior. Uh, and that brings us to point five glorious victory and terrible vow. So uh, obviously with glorious victory, right, he, he won this war. Uh, there was, wasn't, wasn't a problem. So the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. This is Judges 11, 29 through 31. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So, uh, so he wins. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Right? He's got the Spirit on him, and he says something stupid. He says, I'll give you whatever comes out of my house. This makes no sense whatsoever. Um, so just because you have the, the Spirit of the Lord on you doesn't mean you're incapable of sinning doesn't mean you're perfect. So the person that came out was his daughter. It was the first thing to come out. And so we see, like, I mean, the, and it's his, only, it's his only daughter. He has no sons. He has no other daughters. It's his only child. And she comes out to greet him, which would make sense. Hey, Dad, great job. You won. Way to kick butt. And he falls down on the ground and starts crying, you know, because he said something idiotic. So one, uh, first point, a subpoint on five. We'll call it five A and uh, five dot one. Let's go with numbers. I'm an engineer, and uh, what he does is he makes this vow for no reason at all. God doesn't want us to make like, uh, hey God, man, if you help me win the lotto, I'll give you twenty percent, not even ten. You know what I mean? Or 
hey, God, if you give me this bonus, I'll put money in the plate. God doesn't, God doesn't need us to do something for him. God doesn't need our money. God's got money. God doesn't need us to make sacrifices to him. If God wants us to sacrifice something, he'll tell us. It's either in this word, right? Like it's in the book. He tells us to do it, right? Hey, it's in the book. You know, he tells us. What does he tell us to do? He tells us to love him. He tells us to love others. That's here. That's something we know we have to do. But when it comes to item-specific things, let's take Gideon, for example. Gideon sacrificed to God. Why? Because an angel of the Lord told him, cut down that pole and use the wood and sacrifice to me. Like, it was an explicit command from an angel to Gideon saying, hey, I want you to do this. God didn't ask for a sacrifice. God didn't ask for anything. God just said, you know, hey, they just said, hey, come fight this. And he's like, cool, I'll go do it. And then, but he thinks because of all their, just how inundated they are with pagan religion, right? Like, in order to get a pagan god to do something for you, you had to give him something first. Or like, hey, if you do this, I'll do that. You know, I'll, I'll sacrifice this goat in order to get something, right? Or I'll give you whatever it is. I'll sacrifice something. In the case of the Moabites, a lot of times it was their children, which is disgusting. But, uh, and that's kind of what we see here is, is the Moabites and the Ammonites uh, had the god, and the Ammonites, the name was Chemosh, and it was a similar god to the Moabites in that it was a big bronze statue that you would heat up and, and you'd put babies on and sacrifice them, and they'd beat the drums real loud so people couldn't hear the kids crying, right? It was awful. And so what you see here is basically he's saying, I'll sacrifice whatever comes in. It comes as his daughter, right? No better than the people he just beat. No better than that. And um, so what we like to uh, think here is, is there's a, a couple different theories on this. And um, one of them is that uh, Jephthah with, uh, didn't really understand that God doesn't like human sacrifice. And we know he doesn't. Leviticus 18.21, Deuteronomy 12.31. You're not to sacrifice people, so we know that. Um, but the first, so there's a couple theories on this, and for a couple different reasons. Uh, but the first one is that um, Jephthah being so inundated with pagan religion uh, basically chose to sacrifice his daughter. Uh, and the second is that instead of sacrificing his daughter, uh, she actually sacrificed her life by serving in the tabernacle for the rest of her life. So there's a couple, couple different theories um, theories about that. And so, um, just to kind of the, to go over that, uh, 11 verses, or chapter 11, 32, 34 says, So Jephthah crossed over the Ammonites to fight against them. The Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them from Er to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities as far as Abel, Karamim, the great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. Right? I told you she was super happy. Hey, congrats, Dad. And she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And so there's a, kind of some, some theories on that, like I said. And basically what we know about this uh, is that whatever happened, and I, I don't pretend to know which one is the right theory uh, or where Jephthah's heart was, but um, it had such an impact on the daughters of Israel uh, that they would mourn her sacrifice every year for four days. So she said, hey, let me go into the mountains for two months uh, with my friends before the sacrifice. 
And they said, and he said, go. And so she kind of spent two months uh, kind of mourning. And, and then every year, her friends or the daughters of Israel would mourn her. And um, so that's, that's why we try not to do anything rash, right? Always, always. In fact, my recommendation, personal recommendation, it's not a word, pray on it, sleep on it, right? Pray on it, sleep on it, have a cool head before you make a decision. Don't do anything rash. And we see after, and then after um, he beats the, the Ammonites, uh, he goes and uh, he ends up getting in a, because Jephthah, once again, not the most cool-headed character. He goes and uh, Ephraim comes down out of the hills, right? Ephraim's a tribe of Israel, says, hey, how come you didn't call on us to help, help fight the Ammonites? And they said the same thing to Gideon. So, you know, they told Gideon, hey, Gideon, how come you didn't help us fight the, you know, you didn't call on us? And he says, you got to chase down two of their princes. You got to partake, you know, hey, quit, quit trying to cause a ruckus, basically. And you guys got to do that. And he kind of, you know, said, hey, I included you. And they said, okay, I guess you're right. And they kind of turned away. Well, in this case, they asked Jephthah, hey, how come you didn't include us? And he says, man, I included you and you, you did nothing. You guys are worthless. Well, that's not the right way to go. And you end up with another civil war in Israel where uh, the Gileadites end up fighting the Ephraimites. I think that's pronounced correctly. And uh, they end up with a civil war where uh, like 40,000 Israelites are killed in the civil war. And so um, the reason people always wanted to be included in a war, at least after it was already won, especially as they got the loot, right? You wanted to get the treasure. And so Ephraim was trying to come down and kind of, kind of take credit. And so I understand why Jephthah wasn't very happy. But at the same time, it was like, you know, a kind word turns away wrath, right? So what do we know about that? That was kind of the end of chapter 12. And then the last little bit of chapter 12, we highlight several more judges. And they're pretty short. There's three more. And they kind of go through them, and we, we go through the cycle again, you know, once again. God is angry, help us God, get a judge, works for a little while, start over, repeat, right? Rinse, wash, repeat. And so, Israel needs a king. There's, um, every time they go, they just, they just perpetuate the cycle, uh, no, and no way does any change result in any lasting change. And so we need a king. Israel needs a king, but we need a king. Uh, we stand here just like Israel, praying to God, going through the cycle, asking for help, getting help, getting better, then getting back worse, asking for help, going through the cycle. We ask for miracles, we ask for prayer, we ask for help, we get these things, and then months later, weeks later, days later, whatever it is, we forget, and we go back through and we do it again. What is judges? Judges is us. Judges is a sinful people, right? Filled with idolatry, whether that idolatry is money, whether it's a career, uh, anything, whatever that, whatever that idolatry is, it consumes us to the point where we chase it, we realize it's unfulfilling. We yell to God, please save me from this. He saves us, and then we go back to going, oh, I like that idol. We go back to chasing it. So we need a king. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Ephesians 1.18-23 through 23 says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above the rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Amen. Jesus is our head. Jesus is our king. Jesus is all-powerful. Nothing can move Jesus. Nothing can take us away from Jesus. There's nothing that prevents us from being with Jesus except us, only our willingness. So, at Audacity, uh, we like to do communion. I'm going to call forward uh, Bethany and Ashley to pray with you guys. And uh, if there's any of you guys here today who realize you need a king, who need a king like I needed a king, who need the Savior in their life, I just ask for you to bow your head today. We'll just go ahead and pray, and then we'll go ahead and take communion. Jesus, I just ask you today, to tell you that I am sinful and I am sorry and I repent. I love you. I need a king in my life. Please come into my life, Jesus. Rule over me. Be my king. Be my father, Jesus. We thank you for your saving power, for your grace, for your salvation that you've given us. Jesus, to your name be the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.